Hello, listeners. Thanks for joining us today. While you do your dishes, make your commute, get ready for your day, or close out your night, we hope this episode of The Bible Never Said That will help you see more of God as we talk about popular sayings that proliferate throughout the culture and church, even though they are a bit theologically sketchy. Today we are exploring the ever-popular saying, follow your heart. We hear this one everywhere. TV shows, books, movies. As an answer from a friend who is trying to give advice but doesn't know what to say. We want our heart to speak and offer pure advice. And when so many voices sing the siren song of follow your heart, we are tempted to sing along. But I know Out of all the voices looking to take center stage in my life, there is one voice I hear more clearly than all the others. And while I would love to tell you that it is obviously God's voice, that's simply not true. Whether it be in a conversation with another or my inner monologue, it is my own whispers, shouts, musings that speak most often into my life. And I have learned the hard way that the brilliant words and ideas that bubble out of my deepest thoughts are not always to be trusted. So while the idea of following my heart was a romantic idea when my feelings and my emotions surged toward my teenage brain, my fully developed brain now knows that following my heart can lead to all types of dangerous and dark places. The thing is, Our hearts don't always offer wise counsel. We forget that though a renewed heart may be able to guide us towards God, that Jeremiah 17.9 still says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now, that's not very nice, Jeremiah. But that doesn't mean it's not true. Our sinful nature can be loud and convincing. But just because we feel like a certain direction might be best, make us happy, or provide the momentary fulfillment we're looking for, doesn't mean it actually will provide those things. In fact, following every whim of our hearts will leave us exhausted and lead us toward captivity, not freedom. Now, society loves this idea because it tells the lie that we should chase our feelings boldly and not worry about the consequences. But history has a lot of people who left bad consequences on its pages. And they were following their hearts. Judas, Hitler, Harvey Weinstein, to name a few. Literature's ultimate example probably comes from Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Spoiler alert, the following of their hearts leads to literal death. We've recently heard following your heart come in the form of YOLO, an acronym for you only live once. But it's also appeared in an idea centuries old, carpe diem. I still remember the first time I heard this phrase. I loved it when my high school English teacher would show us Dead Poets Society at the end of every fall semester. As someone who has spent time as an educator, I now understand that he needed his classes busy so he could finish grades, but that didn't make the movie any less inspiring. Robin Williams's performance as John Keating lured my impressionable young mind 
as he stood on top of his desk, recited poetry, and encouraged his students to write their verse. I wasn't following Christ at the time, and I began to develop a new worldview as Keating pulled his class out into the hall to look at photos of generations past. He wanted to remind them of the fragility of life and has them read from a poem by Robert Herrick called To the Virgins to Make Much of Time. To spare those of you who are glad to leave poetry analysis in high school, I'll only read the first and last stanza to give you an idea of what this poem is really about. First, remember to whom this poem is addressed. To the virgins, Herrick says. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may, Old time is still a-flying. And this same flower that smiles today, Tomorrow will be dying. And the last stanza says, Then be not coy, but use your time, And while ye may go merry, For having lost but once your prime, You may forever tarry. No parent wants their daughter to date this guy. But in the movie... And in literature, this is the sentiment of seize the day. In the movie, Robin Williams' character comes up behind the students and he whispers, Carpe, carpe diem. Seize the day, boys. Make your lives extraordinary. I took this and ran with it. Let us make our lives extraordinary. Seize the day, Follow your passions. Do whatever feels good. Don't worry about the consequences, because death is stalking. First of all, this is clearly fear-based thinking, and a believer is not to live in fear. But it is also just straight foolish. Now, don't get me wrong. We should be wise with our time. God has called us to be good stewards of all he has given us, and every moment matters. But there is no wisdom in abandoning reason for whatever the heart wants. There is no rest or semblance of self-control. It's the idea of giving ourselves completely to what the heart feels drawn to in a moment. But the problem is that Paul teaches in Galatians 5 that we might feel drawn in one of two directions on any given day. And we must be aware of the battle. In verse 17 of Galatians 5, he says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. So where do we go from here? That command seems pretty clear to me. You are not to do whatever you want. And in following this command, we find freedom because we are not slaves to our flesh or our heart because of the spirit given to us. Paul also says in the same section of Galatians in verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And in verse 16, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. All our days here on earth, our flesh and our spirit will be at war. Which is why we cannot always follow the heart. Because it is not always clear 
who our emotions are serving on any given day. When teaching on Galatians 5, many churches rightly focus on the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5, 22-23. says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Christians memorize this passage, have it hand-lettered and framed in wood, put it up on their wall, but far fewer people have the fruit of the flesh committed to memory, which comes directly before in verses 19 and 21. It says, The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Our flesh wants us to forsake Christ's rule in our life and follow our own desires, and our spirit leads us to the ways of God. In the book Journey, A Path to Biblical Change, Laura Chica says, The heart is command central for our thoughts, feelings, and actions. Whoever rules the heart rules the life. The only options for ruling are God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, Christ rule, or self, through our own deceitful and wicked heart, self-rule. Our heart determines what, why, and how we do what we do. The course we follow in our lives is determined by who rules the heart. What a great question that puts before us. Who rules in our life, in our days, in our moments? The believer can flip-flop every minute, which is why we need to develop the fruit of the Spirit. People, of course, want the love, joy, and peace They like to nod their head for patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. While many see the need for self-control, it is not one we actually like to talk about, as often because it is clear to every individual that sometimes we fail at expressing it. But it is necessary to express self-control. It is necessary to live a godly life. Listen, Self-control does not come naturally to me. I'm not convinced it comes naturally to anyone. My seize-the-day incriminating youth can testify to days driven by the search for instant gratification. But things changed when I started following Christ and all that shame I picked up while following my heart. I left in the nail-scarred hands of my Savior. It became clear to me through teachers like sorrow and pain that my unsanctified self, or in biblical terms as we've been discussing, my flesh, doesn't have my long-term joy in view, but merely my short-term happiness. More importantly, it does not seek to glorify the God whose grace rescued and redeemed me. That's some of my story, and I'm sure you listening have your own. The good news is that we are not alone. Many of the stories in the Bible show the destruction of what happens to people when self-control is abandoned for the following of the heart. Today we will look at two. 
One shows the ways our heart is tempted to run, and another, the disaster that unfolds when we let our feelings guide us instead of guiding them. In Proverbs 7, we see the lure of the adulterous woman give us a compelling example of the need for self-control. In verses 21 through 27, it says, With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox, going to the slaughter like a deer, stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. All right. We see here that letting the heart turn towards seduction and fleeting satisfaction leads not to life, but to death. And we see this again pretty clearly in the next story that we're looking at. If you have never heard the story of Amnon and Tamar, this is your trigger warning. It's a bad one. Amnon let desire drive him, and this story in 2 Samuel 13 is heart-wrenching. In it, we see a man caught up in his desire. He plans and schemes to get his way and will not listen to others' pleas for self-restraint. He not only rapes his half-sister, but then casts her away from him, ruined and without hope for finding honorable love with another. Verse 15 reveals Amnon was a man driven by carnality. It says, Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. He was sick with desire and then filled with contempt, markers of a man ruled by the flesh. Eventually, this vicious indulgence cost him his life when Tamar's brother Absalom avenged his sister. So now that we've seen two terrible examples of what being driven by the flesh looks like, let's look at someone who let himself be ruled by God completely and exhibited faultless self-control. While we see acts of self-control from Daniel, John the Baptist, Paul, and others in the Bible, only Jesus did it perfectly. He did not sway from the will of his Father, even with the looming anticipation of humanity's sin meeting him at the cross. Jesus displayed self-control in a statement that should be the guide for all our wandering hearts. Matthew twenty-six thirty-eight through 39 describes the scene. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Those are Jesus' words. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Here we see it. Surrender and fierce trust in the will of God is the ultimate act of self-control. Because in doing so, we refuse to be mastered by anything other than the Master. The beautiful truth is that only in Him will we find the strength to love and trust Him. 
Self-control is vital to the health of the Christian. But God does not leave us by ourselves to figure it out. In 2 Timothy 1.7, he lets us know, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast, to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on The Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So how do we grow in self-control? Jesus knows the myriad of false comforts humanity runs to for salvation. They're often the very things that can take us captive. So he offers a solution to save our lives. We must be willing to lose them. In Luke 9, 23-24, Jesus teaches, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. If you haven't noticed, our wild hearts can convince us that what can destroy us will be a delight, and what tempts us can tantalize. The frustration here is that while indulging in our every desire may thrill for a moment, it can also leave with it memories that taunt for a lifetime. Life has enough troubles without the ones we add on by indulging in passions that lead us away from the heart of God. This is illustrated well in Proverbs 3, 5-6, as a voice of wisdom calls out, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. Self-control is needed by every believer for the sake of the gospel. How disheartening it is every time we hear about the fall of another leader in the church, or hear yet another tale of believers who were found to be saturated with blatant hypocrisy. In a world desperate to see hope at work, the people of God must be those who carry the good news faithfully. This is not fear of man or worrying about what others may think. 
This is living so that our lights may shine. Paul is clear about this in his letter to Titus. He says, Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good, and your teaching show integrity. Now that's found in Titus 2, 2 through 2-7. It's the older men, the older women, the younger women, the younger men. No one is beyond the need for self-control. Also, self-control is a part of healthy relationships. Constraint of our tongue, the body, and the heart is needed to love your neighbor as yourself. It does not come naturally to choose another first, but it is one of the most beautiful acts a human can offer to another. When we don't use self-control in relationships, we are likely to create destructive relational patterns. We've all experienced these. We all wonder how do we get out of them? Well, self-control is a good place to start. Love that is Christ-like will require self-sacrifice, patience, and discipline. James also gives wise counsel on how to utilize self-control in relationships. He says in James chapter 1, 19-20, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That verse in particular is one I use in my parenting all the time, not to my kids, but to myself. That anger does not produce the righteousness of God. We often try to control others with our anger, and it gets us absolutely nowhere. To love others doesn't just mean not getting angry. It also means learning forgiveness, patience, and the ability to not lash out every time we don't get our way. Parents spend years teaching young children to share, make room for others, and stop throwing fits. All of these things are really just avenues towards teaching self-control and being ruled by Christ. Now, this is a long trek. Loving others is a long trek. Following God is a long journey. And it's a good one. But we need strength to run our race, and self-control helps us to run our race. 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And in 1 Corinthians 6.12, 
He says, I have the right to do anything. You say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. We are not to be mastered by other things. We are to be disciplined. We are to make a plan for how we will run our race. And self-control begins in the mind. Many times we don't lose control in an instant. More often than not, we have meditated on, desired from afar, and brought ourselves a little too close to whatever it is that incites us to lose our restraint. The battle to maintain our dignity often begins with our thoughts and where we allow them to travel. Second Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. If we do not follow this biblical advice on taking thoughts in opposition to the Lord captive, we are the ones who will find ourselves enslaved to lies. We have to remember, we are not slaves to our hearts. We will be slaves to something. But if we bow down to anything other than God, we are controlled by a faulty force. Romans six twenty through 22 says, When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Fulfilling life is only found in the freedom of Christ. We have a choice of what will be our guide. The flesh will lead us to captivity and the spirit to freedom. So let's go boldly, with zeal, towards where the spirit leads. We can stop following the heart and follow the spirit. And may we preach constantly to our restless hearts the truth of Romans 8.15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Our Father God is always waiting for us to look for his wisdom to call for his guidance and he has the words of life so that we can rest in his loving care would you pray with me Father God, thank you for being the one who transforms, frees, and makes us new. Please shape our desires to be godly. Show us what it means to follow you and you alone. Overwhelm us with your spirit and show us how to shut down the noise of our flesh. Let us live our lives in the glory of your presence, for there is no greater satisfaction and it's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. Amen. Thank you for joining me today as we looked at the beauty of being led by God and taming our own self. The resources, books, and articles referred to can be found in the show notes at lifeaudio.com slash podcast or on iTunes. 
And we'd love if you could rate and review this podcast so others can find us. Until next time, may you seek the abundant life Jesus died to give and live in the truth that sets people free. Scripture and brain science agree. Meditating on God's Word transforms us and reduces stress in our lives. I'm Jody Nisnik, host of So Much More, Creating Space for God, a scripture meditation podcast. And each week I give you space to hear God's Word, listen to the Spirit, and pray about what's on your heart. And then we have a thoughtful conversation with guests to help us go deeper. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.